everyone, we're back with the Person Podcast. Once again, I'm Steven, your host. And I have to say, you might have noticed that we've been off the air a couple weeks now. No episodes have rolled through. I've actually been traveling, doing some some other personal projects. So I do apologize for the break in shows. But I think with today's show, we should be back on some of the regular schedule um, at least each week or every two weeks, I think is a good goal. But um, in either case... I'm excited about today's guest um, because I have Mr. Brian Whitmire today. A little bit about Brian. Uh, Brian was born in Houston, Texas, and he's lived in Texas, Louisiana, and Indonesia as a kid. He played ice and roller hockey in the South after being obsessed with Mighty Ducks as a kid. He actually received his engineering degrees from Mississippi State and would go on to work in the petroleum chemical industry for 3.5 years before joining Shell for the last eight years, working on deep water oil production projects of New Orleans. Texas and Rio de Janeiro. Uh, he actually started doing triathlons when he was uh, in 2012, and he just won his first triathlon overall winner this year. Brian, thanks for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, of course. I'll just say off the bat, because I, I just mentioned it, uh, congrats on your win this year. Thank you. Yeah. I was pretty excited about that. I'm sure, man. I'm sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome, and I, I'm glad... Uh, yeah, I'm definitely glad that you were able to do that, and um, I'm I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, in the show. So, Brian, what we do here for the first question is I ask our guest um, to describe your life experience up to this point in one word. I would say probably change. Change. Okay. Okay. Good word. Do you mind giving us a little bit more on that, or... Or do you want to just keep it secret? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so I think when I mean, you kind of talked to, you probably hinted at it in my bio that you just went through. It's just my life. I've never lived in one place for more than maybe four years, five years in a row. And it's just constant change. And I think it's always been kind of a plan and never, never a worrying change. Just like kind of going with the flow and figuring out what interests me and pursuing that and seeing where it takes me, but never being set maybe on a being in a certain place or something like that. Right. Like not letting something be a boundary. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely neat that you've, you know, lived uh, various places um you know, since you were, since you were younger and um, kind of going on that same thought, um, you know, looking back when you were younger, you know, kid. Um, so I know right now, you know, there's kind of two things in your life that are, I would, I would say, you know, kind of your, I guess, priorities in a way, um, one being your engineering career and the other being, um, you know, triathlons. So looking at those two things, you know, when you were younger, did you have something early on that kind of, sparked your interest in one of those industries or topics, or did you just kind of evolve into, into doing those things or enjoying those things? Uh, I guess I'll start with engineering first. Um, sure. To be honest, it's, I guess it's probably really boils down to, uh, I guess when I was a teenager, I was like a lot of young boys uh, obsessed with cars and understanding, wanting to understand how everything worked. And I guess just in the process of trying to learn about that and then maybe like physics classes in high school that I, I kind of was drawn to math and science in high school it just seemed like a natural fit so I think yeah probably stemmed from a love for 
automobiles and then just the desire to understand how things work. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think a lot of uh, people that I know that work in um, engineering or, you know, other kind of science and math backgrounds, they, they definitely kind of share that uh, sometimes, you know, either loving cars or machines or just how things work. So that, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. And, and also I'll let you talk about uh, triathlons. Triathlon is probably not some clear cut, you know, event or something that happened uh, in my life. I guess, as you mentioned, I played ice and roller hockey when I was younger. I was kind of a fish out of water doing that in the South in the United States. But I, I guess I took up running somewhere in high school, early high school. You know, always played soccer and when I was a younger kid and then basketball, just sports that every, most kids play. So it kind of turned into a fitness activity probably and just seeing how far I could run. And it turned out I really enjoyed running. And then I guess probably some awareness of cycling through just the Lance Armstrong days. And my brother got into cycling at one point. And um, I think I think it's NBC does broadcasts on the Ironman World Championship. And I know I had seen a couple of those across the years. And I always just thought, hmm, triathlon, that's, that's pretty uh, interesting. Sounds like a pretty big challenge to do one of those. So... Uh, it was 2012, I guess. I borrowed my brother's bike and uh, just went out and took a shot at a short sprint distance triathlon. It was actually in Gulf Shores, Alabama, and uh, swam in the ocean uh, pretty early in the morning. It was a relatively heavy surf for Alabama coast. And funny thing is I got real competitive and ran as hard as I could out into the water and dove through the first round of waves to get past the break. And, uh, you basically swim around buoys. And by the time I got to the first buoy where you would turn and then kind of swim parallel to the shore, I was out there with the front guys and I realized, uh, I'm completely gassed and I'm maybe 50 yards into this race and in 20 feet of water in the ocean. So wow. it was a, a bit of a, act of survival just to make it through that first swim and then onto my bike and just felt terrible after that. But then when I finally made it to the run, I was like, okay, this feels a little more familiar. And, uh, that was that I finished, but it wasn't a, wasn't a pleasant experience the first 20 minutes. Well, I'm sure, I mean, it being your first time, obviously you can, you know, research and prepare, but then when you're, you know, actually going through it probably gives you a whole different uh, wealth of knowledge to to use for future competitions. So, uh, I mean, I think you being out there just to do it and try it is already, you know, in my, in my mind is already like a win just because you're doing something new that you enjoy. So uh, I guess kind of switching back to engineering. So uh, I know that you went to Mississippi state, you know, for your education. Um, and, and so in college, like going into college, did you know that you'd be majoring in, in engineering or or did you have, because I, I mean, I know me personally, and usually people um, going to college sometimes switch majors here and there, but did you know that you were going to study engineering and, you know, graduate with that degree? Yeah, so I pretty much was settled on engineering in my, during my senior year of high school, like I said, physics, math, that was my preferred subjects, but strangely enough, I, I did a lot of art in high school as well, so I kind of went to both extremes, but probably the more practical side of me realized that engineering might pay my bills a little bit better than being a starving artist. <laughs> uh, 
went that route. But yeah, there was really no question about engineering. And then in the process of going through, checking out a few different schools, um, Mississippi State is kind of a, a family thing. So I've been there on and off throughout my life for football games and family events. Um, so when we went there uh, to kind of a engineering, intro to engineering day for seniors in high school, uh, the mechanical engineering department showed a presentation on some of the things they do. And uh, they had a Formula SAE car, which is Society of Automotive Engineers. Um, so they built these little formula cars with basically like uh, 600cc Honda, well, not necessarily Honda, but uh, some kind of motorcycle engine and usually. And then also they have a, like a Baja challenge where you build a little kind of dune buggy. So that... I think that presentation is really what got me and uh, really settled my mind on Mississippi State and mechanical engineering. And so I have to ask, because you mentioned it. So when you say art, do you mean like drawing and painting or? Yep. I guess I took art all four years of high school and the senior year I was in like AP, advanced placement art, and then art history. And I had a really good art teacher is basically what it was. Uh, and I enjoyed it too, but I guess I uh, grew up drawing as a little kid and it just kind of was another pursuit of mine. Cool, man. Um, yeah, actually, so I was uh, more of a tracer myself. I used to trace things. That was kind of my my boundary of artistic skill. But, um, you know, uh, and, and so I know after undergrad, um, and actually this is how you and I met, um, you went to grad school in 2016, uh, it was the A and M MBA program at Houston, and so, I mean, obviously, you know, I was there too. But you and I actually never, never talked about this uh, before. So, what was your experience like? I mean, I, I know I was there, but I mean, looking back at it now, like, I guess, what can you say about the program, or you know, how did it kind of help you with your career, or just you know, a, as a person trying to further his knowledge? Uh, so, I think I went into it thinking, okay, I'm going to learn all this about finance and economics and subjects kind of like you do in engineering where you learn you know your calculus and then you learn how it's applied through engineering design and uh, same with physics and so I went in there thinking you know I'm I'm a smart guy I've got two engineering degrees and good grades and have a good job and all that this will be no problem and uh, it's, it's just about getting good grades and I think getting into the MBA school and as you know, we're put into teams, and uh, it seemed like my first year team, I was the only person like myself, an engineer, uh, concerned with you know, how things work, and uh, one of the guys was a salesperson. Uh, actually, two of them, I believe, were in sales, and then the other one was a, a teacher at the time, so we were extremely diverse, and I, I'm not going to lie, I found it very challenging to be on a team with people who are just very different than me just in, in what what they do and how they think about things just because of their academic and professional backgrounds so I think like I said I kind of went in there thinking you know I'm going to get straight A's and that's that's what it's going to be about but it became more of a how do you work within a team of people in different backgrounds and that was the big uh, kind of slapped me in the face at first and it got Basically, it got to the point where I, you know, I loved my first year team that I was in and 
when we went into second year teams, it was, I had a good second year team as well, but it was kind of that, like they told us, you're, you're going to miss your first year team just because you can go through that. Well, for me, it was a bit of a shock. Went through that together and kind of bonded together after some probably initial struggles, probably mostly on my side, but that was the big challenge for me, at least off the bat. I was gonna say, you know, you mentioned your first year team sales and teaching background. So I was gonna, I was gonna say, I'm sure everyone was coming to you for uh, project completion help because uh, engineer and you know organized. I'm sure you were uh, a big help. So actually, mentioning the second year teams, do you remember? So we actually found out about our teams and actually joined our second year teams the morning of the like the I think the college station area like rescue operations training center um because we were there for like a team exercise and we walked in and they were like oh okay y'all have new teams now and so basically after like having what like six months or i think a year of like one team you know like four or five people that you knew and trusted and worked with for a couple projects now it was a whole new a whole new ball game you know new people you didn't know how they would work. And yeah, and I guess the idea was to kind of learn that day and, you know, bond, but uh, definitely interesting way to meet a new team. And so kind of shifting gears here. So I know in your bio, it mentioned that you lived um, a couple of places internationally, um, Indonesia and, and then Brazil. So I guess, you know, looking at that, can you tell us how that kind of impacted you uh, or, you know, I guess just some some thoughts about being, you know, being able to, to do that and have that experience. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with uh, living in Indonesia. So we moved there when I was 10. And uh, like you mentioned, I was born in Houston, Texas. And uh, my dad worked for Arthur Anderson Accounting. And he took a, a job when I was five uh, a mining company based in New Orleans at that time. And so we moved to uh, basically right outside New Orleans then. And then when I was 10, he took a role within that same company at their uh, biggest uh, copper mine in Indonesia. And my, I remember my parents at dinner one night telling us, hey, we're going to move to Indonesia. And 10-year-old me was like, uh, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure I cried and got all upset and was like, no. I had just started playing football and I was all excited about that. And it was just not what 10-year-old Brian was uh, excited about doing. Yeah, I can imagine. We ended up moving there, I guess I was fourth grade maybe? Uh, like halfway through fourth grade, January 1994. Southeast right. Asia. So, like, if you just Google Indonesia, you're going to see South people of Southeast Asian descent. So they look, you know, some, some Asian descent. Uh, there could be some Chinese or whatever. I think they were probably a Dutch colony for a good bit of their more recent past couple hundred years. Effectively, it's, I think, over 13,000 islands is what it makes up Indonesia. And it's actually the world's most populous uh, majority Muslim country. I mean, really? 200 hmm. million people. And uh, like probably over, a little over 90% are Muslim, which is interesting. Uh, I guess you wouldn't have guessed that. Anyway, so that I, I'm 
kind of painting this picture for you because that's that's what most of Indonesia is like. And then we lived on the islands of New Guinea, which like Papua New Guinea, uh, you think of like the natives that look more like Aborigines from Australia, like very uh, dark skinned people, this just complete different descent from those pe the people in Asia and just the terrain as well. That island is actually really mountainous, which is really what uh, kind of drove that mine to be there, I guess, geologically. Uh, hmm. So we lived on this island. Uh, it's actually, I guess it's the eastern half is its own country, uh, New Guinea. And then the western half is part of Indonesia. But like I said, they're culturally, ethnically, completely different than the rest of Indonesia. And I think you know, they're not always super excited about being part of Indonesia, but it's it's just jungle. And I think missionaries from the Western uh, countries, United States, maybe Europe as well, went there in the 40s and 50s. And some of them were eaten because they were still like cannibals in some of these tribes. Wow. And so we lived in the mountains in a company town of like, I think it was about 15,000 people. And a mile down the road, down the valley, there was a village where these people lived in huts, like uh, just uh, <laughs> something you, do, you don't think of. Uh, so they literally lived in huts. Uh, pigs were their currency. They hunted with bows and arrows. So it's just this really strange environment, I guess. But it was very isolated, too, because you're in a company town and you go to a small international school that's all the, the children of the employees of the company. So I think for the three and a half years we lived there, I was in classes with at most like 10 kids in my grade. So it was, it was really good education and ended up having a lot of fun, really, because you have a lot of really close friends. And despite the fact that I was not excited about it at first, uh, I ended up really enjoying living there. Got to see a lot of different things and places that otherwise we would not have uh, been able to see uh, with my family just because... You know, like I said, we was born in Texas. Parents were from Mississippi. We lived in Louisiana. So pretty much without that experience, our lives probably would have stayed in the southeast and Texas in general. It wouldn't have branched out too much, but we got to travel quite a bit and then live in such a, you know, just very unique and different environment for those years. So I think it was, especially doing it young, I guess young, but to the point where I still... You know, understood most of what was going on around me and remember most of it as well. It was definitely an eye-opening experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, did you make any like local friends? So I guess not really uh, with the the actual natives that lived there, like the ones that lived in the huts. So we would we would play soccer, and so right next to our school there was an Indonesian school, which was for the basically the native Indonesians who, like I said, were from the other islands were of more like kind of the Asian descent versus that Aboriginal descent, which, so we would play soccer in, in, I guess, like town leagues with the Indonesians. And then the, uh, the natives, you know, they didn't really go to school. <laughs> so they, you know, they had, they lived in a tribal lifestyle, basically third world existence. So they would play soccer against us. They would put together a team of their kids as well and come play us. And they would just destroy us because they, all they did all day was play with uh, soccer balls that people had given them or 
some thought, I think they had like woven soccer balls basically that they made themselves and you know they just ran through the jungle all day and played and that was a <laughs> they were a lot better at soccer than us definitely we had some indonesian friends from the indonesian school because they lived and uh, went to school right next to us generally i guess we kind of associated with the other western uh, kids australians canadians people from the uk the philippines like the english speaking kids yeah, I mean, it, it just sounds like it's almost like something that you see like in the movie, like, you know, the parents tell their kid, oh, you know, we're, we're moving to Indonesia. And then like, you know, you're there. And yeah, because I mean, probably like a rare occasion that that happens. I mean, I know it happens quite a lot, but I mean, I, I don't know anyone else had that experience. So, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Um, And then so I know when you were, um, I think. It was uh, around 2018 or maybe 2017. It might be wrong though uh, that you were able to live in Brazil for for work, right? Yeah. So I guess it was yeah, it's 2018. I moved down there. I guess two weeks before our last uh, class weekend for MBA. Um, oh yeah. Right at the end of our first year, I had moved from the New Orleans office and taken a job working on the construction of the project we had been designing for several years, and that's when they moved me to Houston, but I was working in Corpus Christi and then driving back and forth for class weekends. So that was probably another example of why I said the one word that sums up my life is change. It just keeps changing. Uh, so how many hours did you drive to get, get to class? Well, I guess, so the first, so we started in like July of 16, I guess it was. I think so. Yeah. And then April of 17, I was transferred to Houston and working at a Corpus Christi. So I went from, I guess I drove the first four or five weekends from, at that point I lived just across the border in Mississippi and drove to work in New Orleans, uh, which was like an hour each way. And then on those weekends we had class, I would drive over uh, the first few weekends and I just, that was a, I guess a six and a half hour drive from my house or five and a half from work roughly. Wow. It's just, this is going to be too much. So I started flying, and then I worked it out to where I flew over on Thursday nights after work, and I would work Fridays in the office in Houston and then go to class that evening. That seemed to kind of lower my stress a little, a good bit there. And then uh, when I moved to Corpus Christi, uh, it didn't really make sense to fly. So I would drive that roughly two and a half, three hours between corpus and houston on class weekends led to some uh a lot of driving and uh, a very busy life for those two years i guess and then at the very end i was moving to brazil like you said definitely made it interesting yeah man that's dedication for sure and um and so i guess uh since you had lived in indonesia when you were younger moving to brazil which is uh, obviously south american culture um i mean obviously it was a new place for you but since you have been to Asia before, I guess it wasn't a huge change because, you know, you knew how to handle change and, and you knew how to kind of adapt to a new place, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, having lived in Indonesia definitely lessened that fear of the unknown because I, you know, not by my own choice, but just because of dad had an opportunity and we went as a family. Um, so that having done something like that before, it... Uh, and re having realized in hindsight that that was actually a really fun, exciting experience, 
it definitely took away some of that initial like oh i'm leaving everything i know and it also probably helped that i wasn't super attached to where i was because i'd moved around so much right and too but uh yeah it took away the the fear factor well reluctance to try something new probably i'm not gonna lie to you when i after a month or so in rio i realized okay i lived in another country in indonesia but that was a totally different experience because we lived in a company town where pretty much everybody we associated with and probably the majority of everybody there spoke English and you were all there for one purpose and, and one company. Whereas in Rio, you know, I was there for my company, but that's a incredibly tiny fraction of a city of, I think it's well over 10 million people and the majority of which don't speak English. <laughs> And it's just a very different situation. You're immersing yourself in a different culture, a different language. Whereas I, that wasn't really what happened when I was a kid in Indonesia. So I realized that pretty quick. I was like, okay, I've lived overseas before, but not, not in another culture effectively. Right. Well, did you learn uh, Portuguese or, or no? Basically, I can speak and understand what I'd like to uh, call idiots Portuguese. <laughs> So I can read and make sense of it in general. And then if they speak slowly, I can make sense of it uh, as well. I'm probably getting a little bit rusty at this point. But we spoke English in the office mainly. So that, right. that was a, a bit of a, a big help, actually. I think this would be a good point to switch gears again, because um, I want to have time to talk about your triathlon experience and just what you've done and your training. So... I think to start to start us off, just because um, I know I'm I'm not really in the know, and I'm sure our audience might might not really be in the know. So, can you kind of explain, kind of briefly, what a triathlon consists of? Because um, I know it's like different events, but I'm not quite sure of the exact events and the order and all of that. So, do you mind kind of going over that to start with? Sure. Uh, so, triathlon is almost always a swim followed by uh, a bike ride. It's swim, and then a bike, and then a run. Uh, the distances vary, so they'll have, like, basically, I guess, the Olympic... Triathlon is an Olympic sport, and the Olympic distance, standard distance, is a 1,500-meter or one-and-a-half-kilometer swim, which is just less than a mile, I guess it is, followed by a 40-kilometer bike, which I guess is like 24.8 or 9 miles, and then followed by a 10K run, which you know, all, all are pretty standard distances in each sport, but they're all put together. So effectively, you swim, you, you start the race, and you swim, and then when you're done with the swim, you run to uh, an area they call transition, where you, you basically you take off your goggles and your swim cap, and if it's if you were wearing a wetsuit, like if the water was cold enough to require a wetsuit, you would take that off as well. And then you grab your bike, put your helmet on. Uh, usually people will put their bike shoes on the pedals and just run with the bike out of the transition area. And then once, as soon as you get out of that area, you're allowed to jump on the bike and basically start riding your bike. So most of the time... It's either an out-and-a-back course, like you go out to a point, turn around, and come back, 
or it'll be some kind of loop that then comes back to that same transition area where once again you'll have to get off your bike before you go into the transition area and then you put on your running shoes probably the simplest part there take off your bike helmet unless you want to run with that helmet on probably don't need to and then you do the run and then the finish line will usually be right next to that transition area obviously not in it because there'll be all kinds of people going in and out of there yeah i mean just hearing you explain it i'm, I'm already tired myself so it's <laughs> it sounds uh probably means i over explained no 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 i think you were right on the money there's no time limit right it's just everyone can finish on their own pace so when you go to the the bigger events like um i guess an ironman which okay so we talked about the olympic distance and you know there's there's distances less than that like sprint they call it and super sprint uh sprint is usually about half the distances of each event from the olympic and then super sprint is usually you know a really really short swim followed by like a you know, maybe a 10 to 20 kilometer bike and maybe a, a 5k or, or even less sometimes. And those are usually meant to be the intro event for somebody who's just getting into triathlon. And yeah, it seems pretty daunting. The, those are the events for the beginners uh, to help you get in. So you're not jumping into a, an Ironman your first time. But then after that, you know, you have this, this super sprint, like I'm talking about the sprint, the Olympic. And then after that, there's the other main two standard distances would be a uh, half Ironman and then a full Ironman. A full Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim and then a 112 mile bike and then a full marathon, which I guess most people probably have an idea. It's 26.2 miles of running. So that's an extremely long event, obviously. And then it's probably pretty obvious, but a half Ironman is exactly half of those distances. So to answer your question about time limits, yes, there are time limits for each event. And it's really just from a logistics and probably safety standpoint as well, too. I think the time limit on a full Ironman is 17 hours, roughly. And I think that's like two hours, two and a half hours. Somewhere in there is the, the limit for the swim. So if you're not done with the swim within two and a half hours, they're going to either going to come pull you out or when you're done getting back to shore, they're going to say, okay, sorry, but your day's over. You can't keep going. And then similarly, you know, within, I think the bike course will close after like 10 hours or something like that. Right. And then the, basically they'll start taking people off the run course at 17 hours. So for a lot of people the I mean, the big challenge is it's, it is a challenge to just finish one. So for a lot of folks, it's just, can I finish it within the time limit? Because then the big, the big thing is to cross that finish line, I guess. And there's a guy, well, not at every race, I guess, but there's a particular guy that does the announcing at um, most of the big Ironman events. And uh, the big thing is when people cross the finish line, he calls out their name and says, you are an Ironman. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty cool when you've been killing yourself for somewhere between eight and 17 hours from a pro to a, you know, somebody doing their first one on their, their own fitness journey to hear those words when you've been working at it for so long. Cause it's obviously not something you jump into like one day, like, Hey, I think I'll do an Ironman tomorrow. 
not having ran or swam or ridden a bike at all. Right. And so to kind of go with that thought, so for you, what kind of training goes into preparing for, uh, I guess, for your, for your most recent event where you came in first, like what kind of training were you doing for that? Uh, so, I mean, obviously you have to do all three sports. Probably the hardest part is, I mean, swimming is hard unless you have a swimming background, right? Because, you know, we walk and most people know how to ride a bike just from when they're a kid. But if you never learn to swim, that's a something that's not natural to human beings, really. It's kind of a, a learned skill with a lot of technique. Um, well, I just get one of those big, like, rubber duck floaties and I just, you know, kind of float and kick along. It's <laughs> just joking. Yeah, so, I mean, if you know how to do all three, which, you know, is a, a step in, in itself, then the next biggest thing is figuring out how much of each to do. So for me, it's, you mentioned in the my bio there at the beginning, I s did the first one in 2012, and like I described that one, it was a I knew how to swim. I knew how to ride a bike. I knew how to run. I was in reasonably good shape, but I didn't know how to, to race a triathlon. That's a big thing in and of itself. So learning how to train and do all three of these sports, it's a lot to focus on at the same time. And, and also learning how much is too much, because you if you train too much, you basically put yourself in a spot where you're just completely exhausted and where, where you think you'll just keep gaining fitness the more you do, you'll actually be uh, hurting your body and your, your overall fitness and health. So you can basically run yourself into the ground if you, if you do too much. So a lot of it is finding that balance. And for me this year, ever since uh, you know, coronavirus, we've been working from home. So it's actually made it a little more, uh, I guess, a flexible life schedule for me. I'll typically go for a run at lunch. 30 to 45 minutes and then in the evening I'll either cycle indoors most of the time just because you never know if it's it's like you were mentioning it's usually quite hot in uh, Houston most of the year so I'll cycle indoors on kind of a, a stationary trainer where I can really control specific workouts like amounts of time at certain uh, heart rates or effort levels which is how you really train intelligently so that you don't put yourself in that hole I was mentioning and, and get to the point where you're just training way too much and too hard. And then uh, <clears throat> swimming, you know, that's kind of its own thing. For me, it's just getting in the pool and practicing because I, I know how to swim and I have reasonably okay swim technique, but it's not something that's it's it's pretty easy for me to go outside and go for a run or jump on my bike indoors or go outside and ride my bike it takes a little more mental discipline to go okay i need to go to the pool jump in the pool and swim for 30 minutes or an hour so i'm guessing is there a pool at your at your like where you live or is do you go to the gym or what i actually have a gym membership for a uh, uh a gym that's about half a mile from my apartment and they have both an indoor and outdoor lap pool that's like 25 yards long. So during the pandemic, it's been pretty convenient. I can either run over there during lunch and jump in the pool, swim for 30 minutes, and then run back. Or in the evenings, I can run over there, swim, and then run back home and jump on my bike, which is a pretty useful thing because then you're kind of practicing that transition from 
swimming to biking, which if you've never done it before is, is strange. And similarly with, uh, when you go from biking to running, the first time you do it, you're going to use it. Well, for me at least, uh, and I think most people, it's very strange because you, you jump off that bike and you start running and you're like, Whoa, my legs, these feel like I'm running with somebody else's legs. <laughs> very strange feeling, but you, you end up getting used to it after a couple different races my first two or three races it felt almost normal but that first race uh it definitely didn't feel normal okay so picture this like you're at the finish line you, you just finished a, uh, a triathlon so take us through like what are you feeling and what's the one thing that you want to do when you cross the finish line i'll walk you through the the race that i won a month and a half ago which is the first triathlon I've won overall so I knew going into it that I was in the best shape I'd ever been in and I knew kind of the course would probably favor me just because it was a half Ironman distance but typically at this race the swim is a little bit short on distance so I I knew going in I was like all right just try and swim hard but don't don't swim too hard and come out of the water basically where I'm just completely toasted already uh, because I knew the bike is where I'm going to make up a lot of time on everybody else. And uh, sure enough, I was right. I swam a little bit slower than I anticipated. And I think the fastest person was like eight minutes ahead of me after the swim, which was not good. But <clears throat> I got on the bike and just did what I knew I had to do and ended up having, I think, the fastest bike time by over eight minutes and then got on the run, and I actually, I ended up being the first, basically the first person on the bike course before halfway through, which is always kind of interesting because sometimes, you know, they're not, they usually have volunteers at turns, making sure you know where to turn, and at aid stations where you can get waters and other things like that, get help if you need it. They're not always ready for the first person to come through, so it's an interesting I almost missed one turn on the bike course and uh, a, a police officer who was there uh, directing traffic, both bikes and cars, started yelling at me as I went past the turn and basically letting me know that I was supposed to turn there because the, I think the sign had been knocked down. So uh, I got lucky there. When I, when I got off the bike, I was a little bit flustered about that and just knowing that I had to have a, a really the best bike I, I could have to kind of make sure I had a shot to win the race because I knew there would be some people that both swam better than me and probably ran faster than me. So I was a little bit frustrated probably at the end of the bike because, like again, they weren't ready for the first biker to come in when I did, and they had the, the road kind of blocked off so it wasn't clear where I was supposed to go. So I ended up taking an extra like turn through a parking lot to get to where the transition area was. And by that point, I was aggravated and confused by that and just not thinking 100% clear and jumped off my bike a little bit too fast and then the bike kind of wobbled under me and I ended up falling over the top of the bike and sliding on the the concrete and skinning up my elbow and basically my foot oh um, man yeah so that was a bit of a uh, a not ideal situation in a race I'm, I was trying to win but at that point I knew I was first coming off the bike so i was like all right jumped up put my running shoes on and then just ran 
as fast as I could, basically at a, a safe pace. When, once you've kind of been doing these different distances, you know, based on how fit you are at that time, what you should be able to expect to do. So I, I went out and started running, and the first eight miles were really, really good, running mid to high six-minute miles, and then my legs started to feel a little heavy, basically like the muscles just started to get tired at that point. And I slowed down to probably around seven minutes a mile the last two or three miles, I guess it was. And with probably three miles to go, right around 10 miles, there was a turnaround point. And I was like, all right, I need to take a note of how long it takes for me to see somebody else here so I know how much of a, a gap I have. And I think at that point, I measured about a minute and a half until I saw somebody after the... Uh, the turnaround point. So I was like, okay, I've got almost three minutes on that person. So I just need to kind of hold where I am. And if they're going to beat me, they're going to have to run a minute faster than me every mile from here on out. And uh, tried not to look back so much because that just seems like a mentally defeating idea. You just got to try and run as hard as you can and keep looking forward. But I got to the last turn, basically turning into the area where we, we finish and People were yelling at me like, you're in first, you're in first, there's nobody behind you. And then somebody, a lady yells, wait, yeah, there is somebody behind you. Oh. So I turned around and the guy was probably 300, 400 yards, maybe not even that much behind me. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to catch me in these last quarter mile or so, but uh, I definitely can't walk from here. So ended up finishing first and that was, I'm not going to lie, it was a pretty good feeling because it was the first time I'd ever done it, and I was, I knew I, well, I felt like I could could win a race, and in particular that one, but uh, there were other races where I thought I could win, and it just didn't work out. That was a pretty good feeling, to be honest with you, Stephen, and uh, there was a couple other times during the race, like during the bike, my, uh, my brakes started dragging just all of a sudden, and I was like, oh no, oh no. So I had to stop twice to try and fix that, and the whole time I was like, no, no, just kind of told myself, all right, keep going, get back on and keep going, just race, do what you can. And when I got to that finish line first, it felt really good. And uh, it kind of just reinforced to me that in the race in particular that day is, you know, things didn't go perfectly the whole time. I fell over the top of my bike. My brake was dragging. Uh, I was bleeding. <laughs> From my elbow the whole race the whole run you know i just kept pushing as hard as i can and enough things went right that i was able to win it to answer your your actual question the first thing i wanted to do was have something to drink and sit down but that was a that was a mistake because i could barely stand up after i sat down <laughs> yeah i can i can only imagine um yeah man that that sounds i mean I appreciate you taking us through that because it sounds pretty cool. Um, I mean, definitely exciting, and uh, I mean, a lot of work is uh, a very, a very, very uh, minimal way to put it. And so, somebody that that might be listening that that you know wants to might might be starting out to do triathlons or or might be thinking about starting to train. Uh, you have any advice for them? Uh, so, I think if you can afford it, get a coach who can kind of help educate you on how to train. Like I was mentioning earlier, if you, if you go out and you just start 
depending on where you're at, like if you run, if you swim, if you bike, uh, even if you're already, you know, good at all three, you can easily uh, do too much. So if you can afford it, uh, pay somebody to coach you and kind of put together a training plan that helps you, A, know what to do, and then B, kind of be accountable. If that's, I mean, some people need to be, need that accountability. I'm probably not one of those. I, I need more somebody that will keep me from doing too much. Yeah, if you can afford it, get a coach. If not, uh, do a little research. If I think Ironman has training plans for different distances, and there's there's coaches out there that will just sell a training plan rather than charge a monthly fee for like actual custom customized coaching. Uh, so that's another option. But I think just go out there and try it, and try and educate yourself too, and get a training plan, and just just have fun, enjoy riding a bike and going for a run and then when you actually go to a race uh it's it's really fun it's a fun event and everybody's there cheering everybody on and yeah i want to win but uh and i was the first person to finish that day but i went and took a shower and came back later and cheered everybody else who was coming across the finish line later and that, at that race in particular, they stopped the award ceremonies anytime somebody was coming across to finish so we could all cheer them on because uh, it's it's a big accomplishment. And so before we get to the last question, I kind of threw this in just to put you on the spot here. But um, so I know I know this year college football and other sports aren't quite the same. But in either case, college football, let's say that it's a Saturday in in Bryan uh, College Station, Texas, and and um, it's A and M playing Mississippi State. Who do you root for? Oh, Stephen, <laughs> all the way. <laughs> there's, there's no question there, but I'm wearing maroon, so I've I've been to a game at uh, in College Station when State played A uh, and M, and most people didn't even realize I was rooting for State because we're all wearing the same color, so. <laughs> And of course, that's why I chose A and M for my MBA. I didn't have to ch- change my wardrobe at all. Right? <laughs> you're at the game. You're like, yeah, yeah, come on. And then you're actually rooting for state <laughs> camouflage. Uh, I'll root for the Aggies almost every other day. We'll, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And then to kind of wrap this up. Um, so looking back, you know, looking back at, um, you know, we, we talked about you living in Indonesia, Brazil. Uh, working in engineering, um, you know, training for triathlons, uh, competing in triathlons, and meeting, you know, various people. With all that said, um, what's, you know, in your mind, what's one of the biggest lessons that you learned from people? So either about or from people, um, you know, just up to this point in life? I think maybe two things we talked about can kind of sum that up in terms of people and life in general. For me, it's like learning to work with people of different backgrounds and professional and personal and the value that that, um, those different backgrounds brings. Uh, And I learned that was a big learning for me in the MBA courses we we went through together. And then just in general in life, I I don't want to be too cheesy and this is just my experience, but that race I just described to you where I won is like not everything went perfect. And there was a couple times where I was panicked and, you know, I've had a few races where I thought I could win before and something went wrong. And I, I was just hoping things would go right enough to give me a chance to win. And then, like I said, there was 
two or three things that I thought were going to go wrong and maybe cost me the race. Uh, well, the, the shot at winning the race, but I just did what I could and kept going and just kept pushing on and it ended up working out. It's not always going to work out, but if, if you just keep, keep working at it and keep pursuing something you're interested in, you're going to get better at it and things are going to go your way sometimes. And that's, that's going to make it worth it, I think. And that's my super cheesy sports analogy for you for life. Well, there you go, everyone. That's Brian's super cheesy advice. So take it, take it and use it wisely. Um, no, man, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, just thanks for being here today to talk about everything and to kind of share your journey and your, you know, just what you've done with us. Uh, it's pretty cool, pretty exciting. Okay, everyone. Well, uh, that's going to complete today's show. Um, we had Brian Whitmire on. He is a engineer. He's a athlete who competes in triathlons and um, he's lived uh, overseas and uh, as well as in the U S where he was born. So, Brian, uh, again, just thanks so much for being here. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to follow your your uh, next race and see what else you can do um, out there in the three uh, events that you that you have seemed to, to master. Well, thanks, Stephen. I think maybe uh, saying I've mastered swimming is a bit of a stretch, but I'm uh, always trying to get a little bit better. So thank you. I've right. enjoyed it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, okay, everyone. Well, until next week, I'll talk to you then with a new guest and more discussion on the person podcast. Take care. <laughs>